Well, good morning, everybody. I have to preface what I'm about to say with this. Primary school kids are better than <laughs> secondary school kids. <laughs> because, you see, I remember my NQT year. I can remember that feeling of driving to work. And I remember it because it came with a sense of dread. And I would be sitting in the car and I'd be watching these white vans drive past me. And I would be going, God, if only I was a builder. <laughs> if only I was an electrician. If only I were a plumber. I wouldn't have to go and see these kids. And I felt like I was doing 12 rounds in the ring with these students every day. And I would go home and I would sit in my armchair and I would have a cup of tea because I'm British and I would stare at the walls of my living room and then I would get up and I'd do the same the following day. And that was day after day after day. But primary school kids are better than secondary school kids. And I remember just thinking, I'm doing everything that I can here. I'm trying every strategy that I know to get these kids to behave. I'm listening to what my colleagues are saying to me. Nothing is changing. And I remember just saying to God, why? Why? I'm doing everything I can to make this better. Nothing is changing, God. And all of us face challenges. All of us face tough times in our lives and perhaps for you sitting here today, it's like me, it's with your job and you've got stressful projects to manage, you've got huge budgets that you're dealing with. Perhaps worst of all, you've got stressful and difficult people to manage. Or perhaps your challenge sitting here today is that it's raising your children or perhaps it's your marriage actually. Or maybe it's a fear of the future and you're thinking, I just don't know what's going to happen for me. I don't know what's going to happen for my children. Perhaps it's an issue of health for you, for those who are near to you. Perhaps your challenge this morning is actually just simply your relationship with God. Because all of us face tough times. All of us face challenges. And if you're like me, perhaps the way that you deal with it is just to try harder and work more and try different strategies. Or perhaps another option is escapism, and so we spend hours watching uh, TV, or we turn to a glass of wine in the evening, or we then spend loads of time in the gym, or we go from relationship to relationship to try and satisfy this problem that we feel. And here we come to Psalm 63, and we find David in a tough time. David is in a real pickle. He's in the wilderness. And he's had to go to the wilderness outside of Jerusalem because he has suffered a coup. He is king of Israel, except he's not anymore because he's been deposed. And he's had to flee with his family out of Jerusalem into the wilderness. Now that's bad enough, but what's worse is the fact that the person that's carried out the coup is his own son, Absalom. So the king of Israel has been chucked off the throne by his own son, and he's had to flee for his life with just the small family group that he has around him. David's in a tough time. He's in a real pickle here. But what David does in his tough time is to depend on God. 
David's first course of action is to turn to God and to depend on him. And the first few verses are a beautiful, beautiful explanation of David's worship and prayer life. Because he starts out in verse 1 and he says, You, God, are my God. Yahweh, you are my God. And it's reminiscent of the covenant that God has made with the Israelite people in Exodus. And God says to the Israelites, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And it's as though David is saying, Yahweh, you are my God. And I will remind myself of that, that nothing else is my God. No one else, nothing else. It's you alone. But God, in that, I want you to remember that I'm yours. You are my God and I'm yours. And I'm coming to you in this tough time and I'm coming to you and you alone. And I'm going to depend on you because there's nothing else. Nothing else is going to work for me. God, it's you and you alone. And he says this beautiful, beautiful phrase, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. David's physical state of being in the wilderness, which is hot and dry, and there ain't much life in there. He says, I'm thirsty. Physically, I'm thirsty. But spiritually, I'm thirsty. Because the place where God dwells in Old Testament times is in the temple, in the sanctuary, above the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies. And day by day, David goes into the sanctuary and he spends time in God's presence. And he can't do that now. And he's saying, God, I, I just thirst for your presence. In this tough time, the only thing that I can do is to come to you, you alone. And he makes this incredible statement in verse two. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. That's an incredible statement to make. Oh, that we could say that ourselves. God, I have seen you in St. Albans. I've beheld your power and your glory. And to a certain extent we do, but David has seen God in all of his splendor. It's an incredible thing for David. But he's cut off and he's like, God, I'm just desperate to get back to that place because I need your presence. And there's something about encountering the presence of God that changes you entirely. I remember two or three weeks ago, um, I was on the worship team and there was just two of us. And as a result of that, the sound check went very smoothly. We ran through the songs super quickly and we had about 20 minutes, so we just worshiped. And the presence of God came and filled this place. And it was an amazing, amazing time, the sweetness of the presence of God. And I was thinking, I, I, do we really have to stop? Can we not just carry straight through and just, just let people come in and join us? Because when you encounter the presence of God, you realize that there is nowhere else that you need to go. And David knows that. And in his tough time, he says, God, I'm coming to you. I need you. Nothing else is going to work for me in my tough time. It's you. It's you alone that I need. And in verse 3, as he comes to encounter God, he's reminded of God's love for him. And he says, your love is better than life. 
Your love is better than being a king. Your love is better than wealth, power, having servants to do everything for you. Your love is better than all of that. Your love is what is important to me. And then David ends up in this incredible statement. He says, I will praise you. Here is a man who is in the wilderness, who's fled with his small family around him for fear of his life. And he's saying, I will praise you, God. I will praise you because I know that you are my God. God's presence for David is the thing. And we see him in verse five saying, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. An encounter with God, coming to God, doesn't just give you quantity. It's not like God just gives you, I don't know, for sake of an example, a bowl of pasta with nothing on it and goes, there you are, have that because then you won't feel hungry. God gives you a banquet, the richest of foods. He satisfies you in a way that is second to none. And as David is in the wilderness, he says, I remember you in the watches of the night. And perhaps David is a bit like me in that he's lying awake at night worrying. He's thinking, how's this actually gonna pan out? If you're like me, it's in the night time when you're stressed that you wake up and everything's flooding through your mind. And if you're me, you spend time trying to work out how you're gonna sort it out and it doesn't really seem to work out very well. But what David does is he says, God, I will remember you. I will remember you. I will remember your love for me. I will remember your faithfulness. I will remember your goodness to me. And for each of us, I'm sure as Christians, we can look back over our lives and go, God has been good to me. But you know what? When times are tough, those just seem to go out the window and we don't remember them anymore. I remember when I was on my year abroad as part of my degree and I had to go and live in France for a year and I decided I was going to work as a foreign language assistant. I could have gone anywhere in France but I ended up in the southeast corner, just above Nice and Cannes and Monaco, and it was a tough gig, and someone had to do it, and God chose me, which alone was a sign of God's goodness. But when I was there, because I was there for a period of eight to 10 months, I had to apply for a residence permit, and we were told it's really, really difficult to get this residence permit first time. You've gotta make sure that you're there at the local mayoral office as soon as the gates open. You've got to make sure you've got your paperwork in order. You've got to make sure that everything is absolutely perfect. Otherwise, the French officials will look at you and just go, no. <laughs> and you have to go away, and you have to come back another day. And so I got there, and I found myself at the front of the queue, and I literally ran into the mayoral office, and I sat down in front of the person. I was like, here's my paperwork. Handed it over. Stamp, approve. And I was like, oh, that's good, that's good. And then a few days later, I got some government uh, aid because my salary was more than two-thirds of my rent. So the government said, hey, we're gonna give you some money back. So I thought this was great. 
And it was only when I then went to the meeting of the local assistants that it really struck me how blessed God, or how I'd been blessed by God, because the person leading the meeting of the assistant said, put your hand up if you've got your residence permit. And I put my hand up. And then I looked around and no one else had their hand up. And I was like, ooh. And the person at the front looked at me a bit weirdly. And then they said, so put your hand up if you've got your government aid sorted for your rent. And I put my hand up. And no one else had their hand up either. And at the end of the meeting, one of the other assistants came up to me and she and I had had some conversations about faith prior to this. And she looked at me and she said in an accusing manner, I bet you're going to tell me God did that for you, aren't you? And I was like, well, yup. And you see, God's goodness to us isn't just in the big things. It's in the small things. It's in the consistent day-to-day things. And when we're in those tough times, As David does, let us remind ourselves of the goodness of God, of God's love to us, of God's commitment to us. And David says, it's it's in you alone that I'm going to find my strength. It's in you alone that I'm going to depend, God. And as David reminds himself of God's love, he then goes on in verses uh, 7 to 8 to remind himself that actually God is the one who protects him. And he says in verse 7, He says, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. There's an awful lot of singing in this psalm. I sing in the shadow of your wings, and that is a metaphor for God's protection. Elsewhere in the psalms, we see David saying time and time again, I will sing in the shadow of your wings. I will rest in the shadow of your wings. Verse 8 is such a beautiful verse, because David says, I cling to you. I cling to you. And the image that I have is of a a small child. You know, when you you pick them up and they just kind of mold themselves to you. They become one with you. And David's saying, "That's, that's how I am with you, God. I cling to you. I can't get any closer. And I feel protected. I feel safe. He says, your right hand upholds me. When David says your right hand, it's a metaphor for the powerful nature of God, that God is omnipotent, all-powerful. Your right hand is going to sustain me, God. And in David's tough time as he's there in the wilderness, he says, God, you know what? I know you're going to protect me. And God is going to protect David, and David knows that because David's got history with God. David says earlier, in 1 Samuel, he says, when he's talking to Saul, he's about to go out and face Goliath, he says, when I was a shepherd, the lions and the bears would come, and they would try to steal the sheep, but what I did was I went and I killed the lion and the bear. David's got history with God protecting him. And then David goes out onto the field, and there's this giant Goliath ahead of him. And David says, you know what? God's with me. And God protects him as he kills Goliath. And then King Saul, who's the king before David, when he finds out that David is going to succeed him, Saul keeps trying to kill David. But God protects him. And so David knows that God is going to protect him because he has history with God. And he reminds himself of that in this time of trouble. And he says, God, I depend on you, and I'm going to seek you because you are good, because of your love, and I know that you're going to protect me. 
And the final bit that he reminds himself of is the fact that it's God that's going to sort this out for him. It's not down to David to sort this out for himself. In verses 9 to 11, we see the way David puts this, there is no more I. The verbs are not I this, I that. It's they, those that have come against me, will, dot, dot, dot. This is what will happen to them. And I'm not the one that's going to carry it out. God's going to come through for me. God's going to be the one who is victorious. I don't have to do anything apart from come to God and lay it at his feet and say, God, I depend on you to sort this out for me. In verse 11, David says, the king will rejoice. It's not even I will rejoice, it's the king. The king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him. Those that come against me will be silenced. David, in his tough times, relies totally, depends totally upon God. You know, when I had that rant at God, God, why? Why is nothing changing with these children? Why are they not behaving? God replied, as I was driving up Castlebar Road in Ealing, I was just coming up to the mini roundabout, I remember it that clearly. And God said to me very simply, he said, I'm teaching you to depend on me. I'm teaching you to depend on me. And at that point, I realized that actually it wasn't down to me to try harder to get the children to behave. It wasn't down to me to beat myself up over the fact that they weren't behaving. Actually, all I needed to do was to turn to God and say, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul longs for you. My flesh thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The issue wasn't an issue for God. He had it under control. What he wanted from me was me. For me to learn to depend upon him afresh. And the message for you and for me this morning from Psalm 63 is very, very simple. It's God is calling us to depend on him to come to him. And we don't need to have the answers. We don't need to know what to do. What God wants from us is us. What God wants from us is for us to depend upon him. But the comfort for us from Psalm 63 is this. God will come through for us. Now I can't tell you in your circumstance what that's going to look like, but what I do know is that God has a proven track record of coming through for his people. Because he is, as we said earlier, a good, good father. So the comfort for us is come to God. Depend on him, cast your cares upon him because he cares for us. But Psalm 63 also brings a challenge for us this morning. And the challenge is for us to depend on God alone and not to depend on ourselves and not to depend on other things to try and sort the problem out. God is saying, I want you. 
And for some of us sitting here, there's going to be that challenge to go, actually, you know what, God? I need to say the words that I depend on you this morning. And I trust you with what I'm going through. And we're going to take communion. What better way to come to God and say, God, I need you. God, I depend on you. I trust in you. I receive the body and blood of your son. And I'm delighted that we have the 18 to pray for us. Because what I would love for us this morning is if you are sitting there and you are saying, you know what, I need, first and foremost, I need to experience the presence of God again this morning. I need to experience God afresh. I'm like David, I'm saying, God, I thirst for you. Come and be prayed for. Perhaps you're someone who is saying, I need someone to stand alongside me in what I'm going through. And you don't need to tell the people who are praying what the issue is. You might just say, you know what, I'm going through something and I need to depend on God. Would you pray for me and stand with me in that? Or perhaps you want to come and say, you know what, I've been depending on the wrong stuff and I want to make that decision to depend on God. Let them pray with you. Because God is a God who is faithful. God is a God that we can depend on. So as we close, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are our God. Thank you that you are our God and we are your people through Christ. And we ask that you will help us to depend on you and to turn away from the things that we have depended on that are not you. And may we know your goodness more and more. Amen.